0: Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. We all know the story of Daniel and his fateful trip to the lion's den, but could there be more to the story? In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright delves deeper into this beloved Bible story to show that not all lions have paws and claws. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I invite you to turn in your scripture to the book of Daniel, in chapter 6, as we prepare for our message today. Daniel, chapter 6. You'll want to be prepared to put a bookmark or a bulletin or a hand or something there because you're going to turn your page in just a minute. We'll start in Daniel 6. As we prepare, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the gift and the truth of your word. We pray that your word would be alive and meaningful for us this morning. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would empower me to speak words of your truth to speak them in simplicity, with grace, that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we receive and experience now, we give you and only you the praise. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So, I'm going to start the message today with another trivia question. Are you ready? Who were the three most righteous men of the Old Testament? It's not really a trick question, but there is, a, there, there is an answer to it. I'll point you to the answer. And this is a collective view. Okay, everyone can work on this together. The three most righteous men of the Old Testament. Okay, somebody's guessing Daniel, all right. There's one. One. Not Moses, not David, not Elijah, Job, and one more, Noah. There you go. Now, where do I get the answer to this? Well, turn back, just, I just want you to see it, turn back just a little bit to the book of Ezekiel, which is right before Daniel, so you don't have to turn far. In chapter 14, you're going to find the basis for the question, okay? Okay. Um, in in this chapter, God is speaking to the prophet, and he basically asks a, a short series of questions. If I were to extend my hand against my people, against a city, if I were to bring a plague upon it, if I were to bring judgment upon it because they have strayed from my ways... The implicit question in it is, is there any way that the city could be saved? And what he ends up saying, you'll find in verse 14, and again in verse 20, there in Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 14 and verse 20, he he does it twice. He basically says, even if, if Noah and Job and Daniel were in the city, the best that could happen would be that they would save themselves. It's like God is trying to give the best, the, the, the best examples of righteous men that he can think of, and the three that he comes up with are Noah and Job and Daniel. Okay, you can use that question now. You'll you'll know where to find the answer. So it's as if God in God's mind is saying, "If if I want to find the best examples of righteous living, these are the names that I would pick, and Daniel falls among them. When we contrast the person at the center of today's message with the one last week who was Samson, it's almost as if there's this drastic contrast between the the, the nature of their personal character. Daniel stands out as one who is just radically righteous in the way he lives. And you find that as you read the narrative of Daniel. The book of Daniel is in itself a, a quite unusual from in, in the books of the Bible, in that it's it it's kind of half and half. The first six chapters of Daniel are written as narrative. Um, it's, it's like highlights of Daniel's many, many years in Babylonian captivity and so the first six chapters are like episodes within those years the last six chapters of daniels are are, of of daniel are written very differently they are prophetic you have uh, these visions that daniel is given and they are visions that are partly about short-term future and a little bit about long-term future and then you have some prophetic uh vision that Daniel casts uh, for that. It relates very much to the book of Revelation, which is why Daniel, along with the book of Revelation, are considered to be apocalyptic in the Bible, and so it's a little bit of an unusual book. uh, Time-wise, if I could paint a broad picture for you, you'll remember that within the history of Israel that the northern kingdom that was called Israel fell of captivity to the Assyrian army, but the southern kingdom did not. Later when world power had changed hands you move into a time of Babylonian world power It is during that time frame that the uh, babylonian king comes down he, he invades judah he conquers jerusalem i think it's the third wave in that in which the temple falls and there, there are these captives that lead out when you start reading daniel in daniel chapter one that's where you are in history uh, that that babylonian captivity daniel who was a young man during this time along with many other of the tribe of judah are carried off into babylon for uh, captivity most of the timeline would fit those years of Babylonian captivity. However, during the time frame of Daniel, you switch into the period of the Medes and the Persians. And so the Medes and the Persians come, they conquer Babylon, and then ultimately they fall to Greece and then they fall to Rome. And so it kind of falls in that. Daniel is this uh, this young man taken captive into, um, into Babylon And what you have here in in this narrative is a testimony to his character. We're going to look in Daniel chapter 6, which is probably the most familiar of these stories. Remember, we're revisiting many of these stories of the Bible, the narratives of the Bible that you probably heard in, in children's Sunday school, vacation Bible school, or somewhere along children. If you grew up as a child going to church, you would have heard the the narratives about daniel and the lion's den i wanted to do a little survey this week to see what what you people would remember about it i have a feeling that it would probably be kind of a nutshell yeah daniel was you know he was uh taken by the king he was thrown into a den of lions he came out unscathed end of story well that's not the end of the story In fact, it's really not the meat of the story. And that's what we want to kind of uncover as we look at Daniel chapter 6. We're going to kind of work our way through this chapter, so read with me. Beginning at verse 1, we're going to skip over a little bit, but kind of draw some highlights out of here. So beginning in verse 1, the text says, "...it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom." and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was one that these satraps might also be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss okay so first of all Darius Darius is the uh, he is a mede okay so when you come to this point Babylon has has fallen to the Medes and the Persians Darius is a king of the Medes uh, he appoints 120 satraps. You say, what is a satrap? Think governor, okay? He has divided his kingdom into small territorial areas, and he appoints over each area what we would call a governor. That's probably the best way to think about it. Someone who has a lot of autonomy to kind of oversee that. And over all of these 120 governors, Darius is going to appoint three supervisors, I don't know what would be the right word, but three people to kind of oversee all of these governors and their work. Okay, who rises to the top of all this? Of course, Daniel does. Read with me in in verse 3. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom." So what happens is that you have this guy, he's been around there a long time, because he possesses this this powerful spirit of God, because he exhibits this character that stands out above everybody else, what happens to him? He starts to rise, okay? Does it remind you of anybody? It probably should. Do you remember this guy named Joseph, whose brother sold into captivity in Egypt, okay? This guy of... Godly character? What happens to him? He gets down in Egypt and he starts to rise because he has this godly character. And he ends up being the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. The only person who has more authority than Joseph is the Pharaoh himself. What happens to Daniel? He begins distinguishing himself and so he rises to a point where the only person who has more authority than he does is the king himself. It goes on in verse 4 and says, Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful, and no negligence or corruption was found to be in him. It kind of sounds like government, doesn't it? You know... How can we take this guy down? How can we take this guy down? They, they try everything in the world. They throw this, they throw that, nothing sticks. Why? Because he's an upright man. Because of his character. Because they, they cannot find any ill-working, Ill uh, any underhanded kind of thing. They can't find anything to accuse him that has any, uh, any uh, matter to it. And so they say in verse 5, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Friends, what that says is that they saw in him an unwillingness to compromise who he was in his God. They knew that his faith was such that he would not waver in the things that defined who he was in relationship to his God. And they thought, if there's any way that we're going to take him down, we're going to have to find a way to do it that way. That will be his Achilles' heel, so they think. And so verse 6 goes on and they say that they all were in agreement and they and they go to the king, and the verses that follow, you know, you know how the narrative goes. They go, "Oh, king, live forever!" They start to butter him up, and they say, "We have this great idea." This is a paraphrase. We think that you ought to, uh, we ought, you ought to establish an uh, an edict, uh, a law that says for thirty days. If anyone is found who makes a supplication, a prayer, or an inquiry to any god or any man other than you, O king, that he ought to be put into the den of lions. And you can kind of see how this works. I mean, you kind of make someone feel like they're puffed up, and oh, you know, they're really lifting him up. And so unfortunately, the king says, well, this sounds like a good idea. And by the way, when you make this law, you know the way it is with the Medes and the Persians. When you establish a law, then then nothing can undo it. And so the king does it, and he lays down this uh, uh, document and and this injunction. He signs it, he, he seals it, and therefore it is. And so this law is now in place that no one can petition any god or any man except for the king. Well, now what is Daniel going to do? Observe with you, if you will, uh, verse 10. And before we read verse 10, let me, let me propose this question to you. At what point in this narrative do the lions come in? You would probably say to me, well, not yet, right? Not until he's physically thrown into this den where these lions are waiting for him. I would suggest that you can read it another way. If you think about lions figuratively, I would suggest to you that the lions have already shown up because they are seeking a way to devour the righteous man of God. The lions are already on Daniel's heels. They are seeking a way to devour him. So what is Daniel going to do? Verse 10 says, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. I love that last phrase, as he had been doing previously. There are a couple of things that go through my mind when I read this verse. One, in contrast, is that Daniel really didn't make any kind of big scene about it, which it seems like we sometimes do. When I think in our current situation, when we as Christians feel somehow like we've been violated and, and our rights are, uh, are, are being assaulted and, and, you know, we need... You know, Daniel didn't go on a social media tear... Not that they had social media then, but he didn't do that. He wasn't out on the street corner demanding and shouting about his rights. He just remained steadfast in who he was. And he continued doing exactly what he had been doing all the while. Nothing about Daniel changed. He quietly and steadfastly maintained everything about what made him a man of God. The prayers, the worship, everything that Daniel did to maintain his relationship and that defined who he was as a man of God, he kept. That's what he was unwilling to compromise. He didn't do it in an in your face kind of way, but he just kept steadfastly doing what he had always done. And of course, what happens is that all of these lions who are seeking to undo him know that he's not going to change. And so as the text goes on and tells us, they, they go and they find him, and aha, now we have the evidence against you. And so they go to the king and they say, uh, oh, oh, king, um, didn't you make this law? You know, that law that according to the ways of the Medes and the Persian is irrevocable, didn't you make this law? And the king said, yes, I, I did. Well, we found, we found Daniel breaking your law, breaking your law. And the king is brokenhearted. The king has this high esteem of Daniel, and yet... If look at verse 14, if you would. Verse 14 says, Then as soon as the king heard this statement... He was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. He, he finds himself in this lose-lose situation. If I do this, it's not what I want to do. If I do that, it's not what I want to do. So what do I do? Neither way is what I want to do. And he finally determines that um, he has to do what he doesn't want to do. And so he decides that he's going to keep the law intact, and he's going to take Daniel, and he's going to put him into the den of lions. In verse 16, it says, Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. Now notice this. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Quote, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. That strikes me as a statement of faith. Darius is not a Jew, but somehow he has seen in Daniel that there is something to this God whom Daniel serves. Even to the point that he is willing to say, and, and you just wonder what's going through the king when he, when he says, you know, I, I don't want to do this, but somehow I'm, I'm having faith beyond faith that this is going to turn out because of what you've shown me about this God whom you serve. There's this seed of faith going on. There was a stone brought. They laid it over the, the entrance to the den of lions. It was sealed with the king's ring. The king goes off. In verse 18, it says he spent the whole night fasting. No entertainment was brought to him. Sleep fled from him. So he's, just, he's in turmoil all night. Read with me at verse 19. Then the king arose at dawn at the, at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near, to the den, near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Questioned, did God shut the mouths of the lions? yes. And yes, yes, he shut the mouths of the animals sharing the den with Daniel that night. And he is about to shut the mouths of the lions who pursued Daniel in order to destroy him. Uh, This is one of those uh, viewer discretion is advised verses. In verse 24, it says the king gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. So what you have in this narrative is ultimately salvation for the righteous people of God and judgment upon those who who had pursued them to bring them devastation." It is quite similar to another narrative that chronologically had not even happened yet. You may remember in the narrative of Esther that there was a man who was seeking to put the Jews to death. And you'll remember that the accusation is exactly the same. These Jews don't want to obey all of your laws and his name was Haman. And do you remember what happened to Haman? His own plan backfired on him, and they hanged him. It's just another example. That what God eventually does is to bring deliverance to those who are his, and judgment upon those who have pursued them. But that's not all. You see, if we remember this narrative from a child's perspective, the thing we remember is, the lions didn't eat Daniel. Isn't that great? Yes, it is. (laughs) Daniel probably especially thought it was great. But there's more. You see, there's a witness. Read with me at verse 25. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of Of the lions. You see, all of this happens as if to give God an opportunity to convert someone else to understanding who God really is. Travel with me, if you will, in your scripture back to the book of Jeremiah in chapter 29. By the way, the book of Jeremiah and the book of Daniel have another point of connection. Once you get over into the second half of the book of Daniel, where Daniel is having these visions and all, You'll read in the ninth chapter of Daniel that Daniel has, had read where Jeremiah had prophesied the number of years that, that the land of Judah would be laid desolate because of their disobedience. And what he found there was 70 years. And he writes there in Daniel chapter 9 that I saw in Jeremiah the number of years, okay? Jeremiah actually says this twice. He says it in chapter 25, and he says it again in chapter 29. In chapter 29, there are some familiar verses that sometimes I think for, we forget, we use the verse without remembering the real context in which it's given. How many times have you heard, people, Jeremiah 29:11? for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? These words were given to a people in captivity. Jeremiah 29 begins by saying that there is a letter that Jeremiah the prophet sends to the people in Babylon in captivity. It's a message of hope. When people are in captivity, what is their, what is the natural uh, demeanor? the mindset, if you will, of people who are in captivity. Despair, longing, hopelessness, you know, all of these kinds of things. Oh, my goodness, we got God has turned his back on us. Uh, we don't know if there's ever going to be anything that turns us around. You, easily despairing. Jeremiah sends a letter and says, uh-uh, don't be like that. He, he even says... Um, beginning in verse 4 Thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon Build houses and live in them plant gardens and eat their produce take wives become the fathers and and sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply and there and, and there and do not decrease Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. It's like God is saying to them, you just want to roll over and die. But I've not sent you there to just roll over and die. I've sent you there so that you can go on and prosper, okay? Live your life, stand up, wash your face, get about your business. I have plans for you. You found yourself up here on the mountaintop experientially you found yourself in the valley now but you need to know that experientially I'm gonna bring you back to the mountaintop I'm going to restore you here's the thing about Daniel spiritually speaking Daniel never left the mountaintop he was in captivity but he maintained his spirit as if he were still on the mountain and the message That Jeremiah sends to the people is exactly the same. Get up. Get yourself back on the mountaintop because God has something to do with you. You are God's people. You are of his choosing. You are designated in the world for a purpose. What is the purpose? To bear the light of God so that all nations know who the God of Israel is. This is exactly what God does through Daniel on this occasion we've read a narrative in Daniel chapter 6 it would be very unfortunate if all we remember is God kept the lion's mouth shut what he did was to show his glory to a foreign king and it happened even to a point that this king was willing to say to all nations everybody under his influence you should kneel and fear And be in awe of the God that Daniel serves, because this is how awesome he is. And it seems, friends, like you and I have the same kind of opportunity when we go out into the world. I wrote a devotional about this, not referencing Daniel. uh, But back in, it must have been like May or June, and I sent it uh, along with other pastors to the annual conference office. At their request, they, they asked for us to do that. And it kind of reflected on this reality that, that here we are probably feeling something like we're in captivity. All of the circumstances of our life have just been turned upside down. We, we, we've, we're trying to figure out how to navigate all this newness. Uh, you know, Nobody wants to be living life like we're living it right now. Tell me the people of Israel didn't feel like that when they'd been hauled off to Babylon. But God's message to them was, don't roll over and die. I have a purpose for you. That that by who you are, you will bear witness to my glory in the world, even when you feel like you're in the midst of captivity. That is our calling, my friends. And it's not to be the kind of lion that we see these other guys being, you know, scheming, conniving, uh, you know, doing every, everything they can to undermine somebody else. But it's the kind of lion that Daniel shows up being steadfast in character, unwavering, uncompromising, strong, silent, and yet strong that's the kind of lion who prevails and there's a very interesting parallel if you will between Daniel and Jesus Christ do you not think that their narratives run a very parallel course two men of stellar upright character who were unwilling to compromise in the least their calling and their identity in God even to the point that scheming men sought to destroy them it's exactly what happened to Jesus and think about what happened to them both of them are brought up on trial both of them are convicted the course runs a little bit differently Daniel gets put in a lion's den Jesus gets put on a cross. My guess is that when they put Daniel in a den of lions, very few people would have anticipated that they could have gone out the next morning, pulled the stone away from that entrance, and found Daniel still alive. But that's exactly what they found. My guess is that when they put Jesus in a tomb, after dying on a cross... No one anticipated what would happen three days later. And yet God brought the victory. And just so you see the connection, as I mentioned earlier, Daniel and his friends were of the tribe of Judah. Guess who else was of the tribe of Judah? Jesus Christ. Even that one of the many titles that we give him is what? The lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion prevails. Friends, God calls every one of us to be a lion. Not teeth bared, roaring, seeking to devour, but steadfast in character, upright and uncompromising in the things that define who we are in God. And I think it's sad that so often the reason that we don't find ourselves pursued more is because we don't give them the opportunity. Maybe we have failed at being so upright and so uncompromising that we no longer are offensive to the world. Daniel, in his quiet demeanor, was more than the world could take. A good number of years ago, in a church I was serving at the time, and I know my daughter Sarah is going to remember this so well, because she reminds me of it all the time, uh, there was this uh, study material that we used with, with the kids during that time, and it was called Dare to be a Daniel." And she reminds me, you ought to use that again. It was good, and it was good. I just like the title, because I think it's a great challenge for you and me. Dare to be a Daniel. A lion among the lions of the world. But the kind of lion that God will ultimately use to bring glory to to him. Like Daniel, we can be those people in the world. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you've given us examples, people like Daniel who were so convinced that you would not fail them, that they faced uncertainty, they faced uh, threats, they faced everything unwilling to compromise who they were in you. I pray, God, that you would help us to have that same unwavering spirit quietly, steadfastly go about being exactly who you've called us to be, not not allowing ourselves to be watered down or or compromised by the ways of the world, but to just be... People whose character stands so brightly that we might even be attacked, sought to be undermined, and yet that that would be turned into an opportunity, Father, that you would be given glory through our lives. We thank you, God, that it is by your Holy Spirit that any of this is possible. And especially we thank you for Jesus, who indeed is the lion who has prevailed for us. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.